Let's, let's just talk about the Bible, shall we? <laughs> let's talk about the Bible. If you've got a Bible, please find the book of Matthew, chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, uh, grab one, in the pew, uh, uh, one like this one in the pew in front of you, and uh, it would be on page 818. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. But we are beginning a new series, which seems appropriate I remember as a kid, it was, it was <clears throat> funny because we are all in this kind of post-Easter, post-resurrection Sunday, like, lull. Like, there's a high-energy moment. In fact, we have a sermon written by St. Augustine, so it's like a 1,700-year-old sermon where he writes complaining about the big crowd that came on Easter and then how empty the church was the next week. <laughs> so we've been dealing this for, for this for like 1,700 years, so all right. Uh, we, uh, I'm so glad to be together, but uh, this, um, when I was a kid, uh, and, and they had those big moments like the Super Bowl or the World Series, and the, the reporter would put a mic in front of the person's face and said, you just won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do now? Who remembers? Going to go to Disney World, that's right. And I'm sure they paid them lots of money to say that. But I, I was thinking this morning, or I was thinking this week about, um, you know, Jesus just raises, he's resurrected from the dead. God, in power, defeats sin and the devil and death. He, he breaks the chains of the grave and he brings them up. And the, what's next? Like, what happens now? And that's what's really interesting. I'm, I'm really grateful for the book of Acts, um, which gives us, just a one little sentence insight onto what Jesus did for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And I'll give that to you here. Acts 1-3 says this. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Now there's, on one hand, something very practical about this. If... Uh, because Jesus died, as he comes back to life again, he needs to present himself to people so that they know that he's alive. I had an atheist friend of mine send me this. I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> Bro, we thought you died. <laughs> See, atheists have funny, you know, too. And that opens up good conversations about, uh, about, about Jesus. But this is, in fact, what Jesus had to do. But I want to notice and spend a lot more time here because he's speaking to them. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He spends 40 days with them after he's resurrected from the dead to try to help them catch a glimpse of the vision of everything he'd been doing for the previous three years that they totally missed. And that's really important. Uh, Paul uh, talks, about it, uh, talks about it like this in, his, in, in this famous passage on resurrection. It's a beautiful passage. And it's actually, if you want to try to memorize something that you could kind of give to somebody in a nutshell to talk a little bit about or open up the door to talk a little bit about who Jesus is and what he did, this isn't a bad nutshell to memorize so that you can give it. But for I deliver to you as of first importance what I've also received that that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive as Paul is penning this letter, uh, though some have fallen asleep. Because what? Christ is risen. It's only a week later, guys. That was... 
I was actually, that was actually much better than I anticipated, it, to your credit. So let's try that again, because even though uh, it is a week later, it is still nonetheless true, and the truth, the bedrock, isn't it? Let me complain for just a second. How many of you saw news articles coming out this week, people talking about, or this week previously, talking about Jesus Christ and resurrection not being a necessary historical fact? That you can think that you're a Christian and you can say, a lot of good that's happening. No, our faith is meaningless if this fact is not true. Which is why so many people had to bear witness to Jesus Christ standing before them alive. So that word could be transmitted through history to you today. Christ is risen. That was so much better. Good, yeah. We cannot ever let go of this central truth. It is the hope of everything that death has been defeated. You cannot make it into a metaphor. You cannot make it into a symbol. You cannot make it into a nice story. It is either true or it is false. And if it is false, there is no hope. But if it is true, there is great hope. Great hope. And so we live in light of that hope. But we still have a hard time, as the disciples did, grasping the meaning of that hope. What does that hope look like? How does it, how does it interact? Now that Christ is risen, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he locates that meaning right, right here again. The kingdom of God. And that should ring like massive alarm bells to us beginning there in Acts because it should send us all the way back to the beginning of all four Gospels. All four Gospels open up with Jesus going out and teaching. And when each one of the four Gospel authors wants to summarize Jesus' sermons, because it's hard to summarize, right? You don't want to have a whole stack of Jesus' sermons. Nobody right, wants to read sermons. So, you summarize that this way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that is why I was sent. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he, he's talking to Nicodemus here, cannot enter the kingdom of God. You pick up on a theme. A couple of themes. One of the themes is repent. Turn your life toward God now that something new is broken into world history that cannot be denied. Now turn your life over to God, but then turn it towards something. And what is that something you're turning it towards? It's towards the kingdom. And so this becomes very difficult to summarize because the kingdom of God as a phrase summarizes most of this, right? And so there's a lot that's been skipped over in the phrase kingdom of God. We're, we're summarizing here. And so if I were to summarize the kingdom of God and what Jesus is talking about, I'd put it this way. That God has inaugurated a new moment in history in which people are being invited to experience the rule and reign and presence of God amongst God's people now in anticipation For a kingdom that will come in the future. That also is quite a hefty statement, isn't it? And so one of the ways that Jesus tried to help us understand this is that he told stories. Because one of the things that's really interesting is that after Jesus rises and after he spends 40 days teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God... 
Did they get it? No, right? They're standing there after the resurrection, after four, like a 40-day intensive like Bible study with Jesus, and they're all standing around, and Jesus is like, all right, I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and they go, uh, so like, uh, what now? What do I do now? And Jesus is like, oh man, why did I pick this group? I just... So if you find yourself confused by the phrase kingdom of God, you, you, I understand the idea of God being in charge, God having authority over my life and over the world, and I can even anticipate a day when God steps in and he crushes all of the powers and principalities and governments and, and establishments, and he becomes the one true ruler and reigner over all things. Like, you can imagine that, but to try to make that hit our lives is, is hard, which is why the disciples missed it and why it's difficult for us too. So Jesus told stories. And he often told stories and we call them parables. And parables are stories that are meant to direct us. They use our symbols, they use our icons, they use our indexes, they use our experiences so that we can kind of catch a glimpse of what Jesus is, is after when he uses that phrase, kingdom of God. And often... <coughs> Jesus begins that by saying, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this. And so that's why this series is called Like This. In the uh, Matthew 13, we have a, a bunch of parables. We're going to do hit all of those parables over the next few weeks. Today, I want to take a big zoom out picture of the first three. Okay, so we're not going into all of the little details. There's lots of little application and things that we could get into in each one of those. But I want us to have kind of this, this big picture view. Um, and all three of these are built off of agricultural themes. And so in 13, 1 through 9, we have the parable of the sower. This is one that you're probably very familiar with. On uh, 13, 24 through 30, we have the parable of the enemy. And then in 1331 through 33, we have a parable that kind of depicts the kingdom in its growth. The sower, uh, the wheat, and the, the, the weeds, and then this will be uh, about a mustard seed. And so let's look at these parables for a second. As you look at uh, Matthew 13, you can see there just in that block quote, verses 1 through 9, uh, you have the parable. Then the disciples ask for some clarification about the parable, and Jesus gives that in verses 18 through 23. I'm going to kind of fold all of this together and just kind of tell the story. Because it's a story that you're probably familiar with. A sower goes out to sow seed, and he does something that just is not keeping with good best agricultural practices. Normally you go in and you plow your field and you pull up the rocks and you pull up the weeds and you lay down the fertilizer and you get, you prepare a field. You get it ready. But instead the sower goes out like a madman casting seed willy-nilly, right? Throwing it here and throwing it there and oh, I don't, think I, I don't think I nailed that rock patch with seed. So he hits the rock patch and then there's some good empty ground and well, why not? The road needs some too and he's just casting it everywhere it's falling all over the place and because of that and because you are all logical smart people how many of you still have a garden how many of you have a garden give me a hand if i see a hand i need like be proud of your garden bobby raise that get get it up like you're proud of that garden it's a good garden so not many of us have gardens, and so we might not understand this, but you, you, just logically you understand if you throw flower seeds on your driveway, not much will come of it, right? This is clear. But this is part of the message. This is part of the good news. 
Because if you recall, for all of this history, God was planting seed where? This half of the room, well done. Keep, you catch up. Israel, he's planting seed in one place, right there in Israel. But now the sower's going out, and where is he planting seed? Everywhere. Does that sound like something you've heard somewhere in Sunday school one time? For God so loved, what was it again? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And that seed is going out and it's going out and it's going out. In fact, what's crazy about it is that the sower intentionally sows in places where he knows it won't grow. He knows it's not going to grow on the path, and he puts it out there anyway. God's love is so great that he lavishes his goodness on people who don't even care. And so how much more depth and love of a relationship are you going to have with God if he dumps that good news, that seed of good news on you, and you say, God, I want a piece of that. I want to grow. God's love is expanding. It's filling out the world. And this is what we need to understand. What is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like somebody who loves the world so much that he wants to cast the message of hope to everyone. Now, I have a problem. My problem is that I write people off. Anybody else have that problem? I'll say things like, that is too hard a ground too angry a person, or I just don't like them. You know, that happens sometimes too, right? (laughs) That happens sometimes too, right? But no, the seed goes out everywhere. We are proclaimers of gospel because we lay ourselves onto this parable. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like people who care so much about the world that begin casting good news upon everyone, even when there's not a good response. Jesus interprets this parable for us. He gives some information. He talks about the path as is hard, and so Satan is the one that comes and steals that away from people. He talks about that rocky ground where it seems like it's growing well, but there's no depth to it, so it dies off. Or some that fall amongst weeds and thorns and thistles, and as they grow, so do the weeds, and the weeds sap all the energy. And so as we live in the world, the world is so full of temptation and charms and so many things pulling at us and drawing at us, calling us away from God, away from the church, away from the scriptures, away from the things we know to be right, saying this is good when we know it's not good, and yet, and yet it appeals to us. And so we're given these warnings here, but the image of the kingdom is the image that God's good word is going out all over the place. The second uh, parable is like it. It is also an agricultural parable. Let's take a peek at it here. It is called the parable of the weeds, or if you have a King James Version, the wheat and the tares. I always like that. It's found there in verse 24. He tells another parable of the kingdom of heaven make it be compared. It's like. It's like a man who went out and he sowed that good field. And he fills it up. But he has an enemy who, who wants to destroy him. And so the enemy is smart. And he comes in and he just throws dandelion seeds everywhere. Because you can't stop those, right? They just everywhere. You loose kids on them, and you still can't stop them. They just keep on coming. Like, it just does, it's never ending. And so he fills up that field with, with weeds. And so as the crop begins to grow, 
the people begin to look, the servants of the master look and they see, didn't you sow? Did you use bad like seed? Like what happened? How did this happen to us? And the master who is wise says, you know, I, I know the enemy came in and he sowed seed. And so both are growing up together. Well, the logical conclusion is, well, let's go through and let's tear up all those dandelions anyway, right? Let's just tear them up and get rid of them. And the master says, no, because as you're uprooting these things, you're going to uproot other things as well. And so what do we have? We have a parable of a world that is full of people who are good and a world that is full of people who are evil. And there is in that mix that we exist. What's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like people who live in a world that's broken. Does that sound accurate to you? It feels like a people, what did we sing last night, or, or last uh, week, what was the line from the Andrew Peterson thing? Do you feel the world is broken? We do, right? We do. And so we do. And so the, the parable says that, that what's going to happen then is this, this moment when there is a harvest. There's good and there's evil, and there will be a harvest. And in that harvest, there will be judgment. And that which is useful, that which is good, that which is good, solid, growing wheat will go into the barn. And of course, all of the rest, the weeds, will be burned and set aside. And so this echoes that important line that we got again and again. Let's even go back. How many times did Jesus say, repent? Lots. Let's just, let's just make it lots. Why does he say that? Does he say it because he's threatening you? Does he say it because he hates you? Does he say it because he loves just telling you how wrong you are and how right he is? No, repentance isn't, isn't also even just about saying sorry. Repentance is about turning our entire beings toward the work that God is doing in the world. We're told to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the first request of our prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is that our prayer? Because those are the ones that are harvested and taken into the barn. You can tell a weed because the weed is not concerned with what God's will is in the world. Not concerned with those things. What is your deepest concerns? What do you need to cut off and move towards? How can you and I repent well today knowing that there is such an immense weight of importance leveled at that moment. Like there is a moment where it's entirely too late. There is a moment where there are no takebacks. There is a moment where you stand before God and you answer. There's no more lies. No more half-truths. There's nowhere to hide. Everything's exposed and laid bare. And Jesus tells this parable because he wants us to know the kingdom of God is coming. And it is a word of immense and tremendous hope. The kind of hope that sees you through things like cancer. That sees you through things like losing children. That sees you through things like not knowing what's next. Like being mired in depression and doubt. It sees you through those dark times. Because it says there is hope on the other end of it. And that even while I am in the midst of this world that is full of wheat and full of tares. And I feel the weeds just sucking my soul. 
Even in that moment, God is using that horrible time or situation to perfect you for his own glory and for your betterment. That literally everything that is happening in the life of the believer now can be called good news. Everything is being worked out for your betterment because you are in Christ Jesus. That's a good word. That's a good word. And so this message is being scattered everywhere. And it includes that message of of hope right now. It includes that message of judgment that is to come. But it also includes something that I love even more than that. And it's the smaller of the three parables. Verse 31. Look at your Bibles again for me. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Now the mustard seed gets used a couple of different times. And so when sometimes you, you might, you, we might miss which, which mustard seed instance is this. But this one is really interesting. And I, let's, just, let's just read it together. Look at verse 31. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. Which is very small, right? That a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. And when... It has grown, it is larger than all of the plants, and becomes a tree. And the birds of the air come and make their nests in the branches. Now he piggybacks on this image with the image of leaven, of yeast. Which I know just a touch about, because Gwen has taught me how to make bread. I did it well once. All the rest have been fails, but... That's because you weren't there anymore. (laughs) I was left on my own. Unrelated, I apologize. 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid, like Gwen took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. You You just made your way into the parable. I love this image. And I love it because to me it piggybacks onto what I read here in Isaiah. In Isaiah, uh, we are given an image of the one that is to come. 600 years before the one that is to come, we are told that the servant is going to come and that even though the servant does love Israel and will come first to Israel and for Israel, the Jewish people, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up just the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the very ends of the earth. Do you hear that in the parable? It starts very small. Like the Jesus movement started with who? Jesus, right? That was an easy one. That was a gimme, guys. The Jesus movement began with Jesus, right? It begins with Jesus, and Jesus calls together 12 disciples. Right? That's not, I mean, if you think about how many people are in the world, that's not an auspicious beginning, is it? And even after his death, it's Jesus and it's like 72 people hanging out in a room. Still, not very many people. Like, this is not the kind of movement that will shake the world from every other vantage point. It looks like a movement that is going to die off into foolishness just a breath away. And yet Jesus tells this beautiful story. He says, listen, if a, if, if a grain of wheat doesn't fall off the branch and die and hit the ground and go into the ground, 
Does anything ever come, anything more ever come of that wheat? No. No, all of these seeds must fall off the tree. They all must die. They all must scatter. And in their death and in their scattering comes forth fields of orchards of apples and oranges and all of this. You know, we could use any agricultural metaphor that you want. But this thing grows from this one little moment, this one little tiny speck of suffering and death. And God uses that moment and puts it in the ground and it grows and it fills the earth. In other words, the kingdom of God, my brothers and sisters, is not dying. It's growing. It is growing and it is expanding. It is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So big that it's, it's filling the air. I, I showed a, um, or I posted, I should say, a, uh, a thing about persecutions ramped up for the past several months, the first few months of this year, has ramped up uh, by like, it's like 20 or 30%. It was like a really high number. I'm blanking now on the exact number. So fact checkers, go fact. Um, but uh, it was this huge increase in India, this crushing weight that's been happening, and it's creating persecution, right, for our, our Christian brothers and sisters who are having trouble finding work, who are getting beaten, who are getting raped, whose uh, churches are being burned down. There's lots of stories that we have of people kind of just coming into their house as, as like a mob. Imagine a mob outside your house, and they, they break the door down, and they, they come in, and they begin just taking whatever they want and kicking everything over. And when you try to stop them, they punch you or kick you or hit you with a club, and they knock you down. And they take your things, and they just they leave you, and there you are in the ruin of it. And looking from any vantage point, you would say that's a failure. Except for as I posted that, about an hour later, I got a text message from my buddy Johnny, who's got a bunch of contacts over there. And he says, I was talking with one of my missionary friends over there, and he said, I got to tell you the truth, that all of that persecution stuff is 100% true. And I got to tell you that the church in India is blowing up. It's blowing up. He said, they've got people coming from all over to listen and to hear and lives are being changed. There's so many places that God is breaking in and doing new things and it's just growing, brothers and sisters. It's growing. And there is this invitation that is a part of each one of these parables. This message that Jesus is trying to drill past our biases and culture, our own guilt, our own shame, our own walls that we build up to separate ourselves from each other and from God. Jesus is in the business of breaking these things down and saying, no, God has a heart for you. And he wants to draw you into this kingdom. He wants you to be one of the birds that come and nest in this tree. He wants you to experience the full verdancy of his grace and his mercy in the light of his resurrection and by the power of his spirit. And so the question that goes forth today is, are you in? Are you in? Are you the ground that the seed falls on and you hear it and you say, no, that's good news and I want to grow in it. I want to grow in it. I want to know it. I want to know it. That seems like a good place for an invitation, doesn't it? Because every one of us has a decision to make today, just like we have every single day. But 
but maybe you need somebody to talk to. Maybe you need somebody to talk you into it. Or maybe you have a bad decision and you need somebody to talk you out of it. We got that too. We want to invite you to not let this day go without making a decision, with letting these parables sink into your soul and change you. And so I'll be down front here. I'd love to talk and pray with you. If As you leave, we'll have elders back there, right there. There's a room off to the side if you need some privacy. We want to pray with you. We want to meet you. We want to walk with you because we are all in this together. We are all sinners at the feet of the cross. We are all indebted to the God who rose from the grave and defeated all of our enemies to raise us in victory. Amen? If you have a decision to make today, make it. And let's stand as we sing praise to our living Lord.